coming up on this week's episode of the Data Ops Podcast. What exactly is Kraken? In a very basic sense, Kraken is a database software. But in terms of thinking of Kraken, it, it is very different to a database where you are trying to reinvent what goes down at the database level. So we more accurately would describe Kraken as a knowledge base. Hey guys, welcome to season two of the Data Ops Podcast. I'm your host, Van Biami. And I'm Victoria Guido. So starting off this season, we've got a couple of changes. You, you just recently moved, right, Victoria? Yeah, I'm in California. So three hours ahead, but still connected. Right, yeah, so I'm still in Arlington, Virginia. So they got the East West Coast try to expand our horizons. Yep. And we even have a deaf, uh, guest from overseas today. Uh, we're going to be talking about Rackin AI. And I'll let you introduce yourself. Yes. Hello. My name is uh, Tomas. I work as a founder and chief operating officer at Rackin Maps in London, on the uh, on the other side of, of another coast, <laughs> the Atlantic. So we're quite quite a uh, well spread over the world. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for for having us uh, today. Of course. Of course. So start off, I just want to kind of level set. What exactly is Kraken? <laughs> yes, well, in a very basic sense, Kraken is a database software. So just like Postgres is a database, Kraken is a database. But in terms of thinking of Kraken, um, it, it is very different to a database where you are trying to reinvent what goes down in the, at the database level. So it, we more accurately would describe Kraken as, as, as a knowledge base. And, and we do that because rather than just storing data, we think of storing knowledge in, in Kraken. And the way we, way we think of that is, is, is really as contextualized data. And what that means to us is first having a very rich data model. And we call that a knowledge representation system to represent what is very complex data in a very simple way. And then reasoning over that. And when I say reason, to give a simple example, is that if, if you tell your database that my father is Bob, and if you also give it another fact, uh, a fact that says my father Bob has a sister Susan, if you now ask the database a question, for example, um, who is my aunt? If you, if you, if you ask it to a, to a normal database, you won't get an answer because you haven't explicitly defined that Susan is your aunt. But with Kraken, you, you do get an answer. And, and that's what we mean by reasoning because effectively the sister of your father is your aunt. And therefore you can, you can effectively infer a new, a new fact. Now that, that's the science of automated reasoning, uh, more, more specifically called the field of symbolic artificial intelligence. But before we go into, into that, Ali, um, that's, that's, um, that's a high level overview of what Kraken is. And, uh, we see Kraken being used in a lot of different industries, mainly those that have a lot of complex data with a lot of different relationships in their data. It doesn't necessarily have to be big data, but it usually comes with it. Um, but industries like life sciences, robotics, financial services, e-commerce, telecommunications. We even had someone build a, a decompile the source code of one of the Apollo landing missions. And then I believe represented in our rules engine the 600 most commonly known 
bugs by DARPA and tried to build a, a source code verification system uh, that was presented at some conference. That, that was one of the more exotic use cases that we saw our, our technology apply for. Oh yeah, that's pretty awesome. So coming from a, a developer standpoint, when you say like cracking like the database, when I think Postgres, I'm thinking of writing SQL statements, insert statements, does Kraken support similar type of insert and retrieval or how that different from like a traditional Postgres database? Yeah, no, in, in that sense, we, we build Kraken as a traditional database. So transactions effectively, Kraken should work as an operational database. So that's certainly how we do see Kraken, how we, how we build Kraken. We are, we want Kraken to replace your Postgres. We want Kraken to replace, replace your operational database. And, and and that's 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 how we build Graken. And and so yes, things like insert statements, Graken persists your data. So it doesn't work as a middleware or anything like that. It really is your data. So if you have a software, existing software that works on Postgres and you want to use Graken, you you should migrate your data from your Postgres into uh, into Graken. And your data will be much happier by the way in Graken. Yes, I like happy data. <laughs> So what's the tipping point that typically gets um, customers to start looking at Kraken where they're like, really, my current needs aren't being met and I need to have a more advanced um, database modeling going on in my system? Yeah. So, well, there's different, different, different triggers, I would say, but the most commonly one is, or I guess the most generic one across industries is when you're faced with, with a lot of, a lot of very heterogeneous data. So the most common, common, uh, pattern that we see is when you're when, when you're building an application that takes in data from a lot of different sources. So let's say you know JSON files, CSV files, SQL data, and you're you have to do some sort of querying across those data sets. So you can either do that at your application layer by building some complex application level code and ETL piping, or you build a common model that represents all of those different data sets in Graken. So for example, in biology, this is what we see very, very very often where you have dozens of, let's say public data sets that are issued by national institutes like the NIH or Swiss Prots, which is Swiss Institute. And then also integrating that with your lab data, assay data, and also some private data sets that pharmaceuticals will have. And then asking questions in life sciences, how does this drug potentially relate to this disease? So while the question may sound very simple, implement, the implementation of that can be really, really complex. So you know, when you end up writing SQL queries in the hundreds of lines of code, that's a good reason to, to switch to Graken, I would say. Yeah, I'd like the, the, knowledge, the notion of a, a knowledge graph. I, I hear that term used a lot, but it's always kind of a fuzzy term, like how, so I guess from knowledge graph, I think of an ontology, can you kind of, depict how a knowledge graph and ontology are kind of the same or different or how Graken utilizes them? Yeah, so for, for us, you know, despite, let's say, the, the formal definitions of taxonomies, ontologies, we like to be quite practical when it comes to these things. So we would call the Graken uh, schema also an ontology, simply because it allows you to represent very rich and very complex ontologies. So in terms of a knowledge graph, if you think of your data, regardless whether it's you know, any, any data, it will have some sort of schema, whether it's implicit in your application layer code or, or explicit in the form of your tables in a, in a relational database. With Graken, the schema is explicit, so you define your schema. 
in the or your model in the form of a Graken schema. And so some may call that a uh, an ontology, whichever term you use. Um, and again, despite the formal definitions, I don't want to do away with them. But again, this can get quite subjective. So in the interest of just practical, being practical, um, well, your data needs some sort of definitions, and that's what Graken uh, provides in order to build your knowledge graph. So that's that's kind of how those how those two relate. Can you talk more about um, like hierarchical data representation? I think this is something that people have found challenging with like Neo4j, for example, and, and how does that work in, in Graken? When you, when, you meant, when you say hierarchical data, I, I, I interpret that as having uh, types in your data, different types in your data, right? Um, so yes, I mean, that's one of the key things about Graken is that Graken natively supports a type system. So a type system here, if you're familiar with OOP, object-oriented programming, that's kind of what I'm referring to, not too dissimilar in the sense that if you're, if you're building a type hierarchy, um, let's say an entity that is a vehicle, a vehicle can have different subtypes. Can it be a truck, a car, a, a plane? And a plane can then even have, have different subtypes. So if you have those, uh, that, hier that hierarchy, you, you can natively represent it in Graken such that if you then want to query, forgive me all my vehicles, you're going to get every single subtype without having to explicitly define that. Or you just want to get, let's say, uh, let's say all the all the trucks, and then you'll get all the instances of trucks and also all the subtypes of trucks. That's something you can't do in a in, in a traditional graph database. There are ways around that, but there's it becomes quite cumbersome. And there's different trade-offs that we specify in one of our talks actually that compares graph databases to 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 Graken. Uh, but yes, the, the type system is very important. And moreover, the type system isn't just for entities. It's also for uh, relations and, and even attributes. So I guess, can you maybe explain the, uh, the relation between entities, relation, and attributes, and how they kind of work together within Graken? Yes, yes, of course. Well, you know, one, one of the key things about Graken is that we don't want necessarily people to, to need to know graph theory. So it's a question often people ask us, do you need to know graph theory to know Graken? And, and our answer is no, it's maybe useful and interesting perhaps, but one of the key important things about Graken is that we wanna make these types of technology accessible to people that don't necessarily need to know the low level ins and outs of graph theory because graph theory is, is, is complex, it's difficult. Um, and so when it comes to, using Graken, uh, the data model is actually a direct implementation of the entity relationship model. And, and that's really important because the, that determines conceptually what is an entity, what's a relation, what's an attribute. So it's not something that we're necessarily inventing ourselves or, or, or coming up with. The, so what defines an entity or a relation is really according to those specifications. And in a nutshell, if you think of an entity as something that can exist on its own, something that doesn't need to exist given some context, let's say uh, a person, that's a very simple example of, a, of an entity or a vehicle or a, co a car. And if you think of a relation though, a relation is really dependent on its context to exist, such as an event. An, an event needs uh, a certain dependency on, of time, of participants, a marriage is also a good example of an event of, of a of a uh, relation. An employment is a good example of a, of a of a relation. And what we see a lot, especially people that are 
migrating, moving from graph databases to Graken is where it becomes really difficult to, to represent complex types of relationships in, in a graph because what you're forced to do, because in a graph database, you're forced to use a binary directed labeled edges basically, which means, which, which is very limiting if you think about it. Because if you have, if you have a, what we would call a ternary relation with let's say three participants in one relation, you, you can't do that natively in an edge, in a directed edge. And that's where the hypergraph comes in, but you know, hypergraph to some sounds like a very fancy word. So let's, let's not go in there yet. Um, but what we're trying to do is natively represent that as a relation, whereas in a graph database, you end up reifying the graph. And then instead of representing it as an edge, you represent that as a node just because you have to given the data model. There's other ways around it as well that I've seen where you add properties and foreign keys effectively to, to the nodes instead of adding an edge, but that defeats the purpose of using a graph database because I don't think you want to use foreign keys in a graph database. Um, and so in Graken, uh, natively, you represent those as, as hyper, what we call hyper relations or ternary relations. So you get three uh, things, let's say, playing uh, a part in a relation. Well, that's uh, that's really interesting. And can you talk more just about, I think a lot of people compare Graph and AI to like a Neo4j or Graph database. And um, any other like specific differences you want to call out and, and say why um, Graken is, is different? So the, the main ones in, 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 to stay really high level, the one is really the, the, the hypergraph modeling. So Graken natively supports hyper, hyper relations and, and, and and also effectively an entity relationship model with a type system. So that's the first part. The modeling part is, is much richer in Graken than in, than in Neo4j. The second is the automated reasoning part. So effectively doing what we call backward chaining, uh, which is a type of, of reasoning to infer new facts in the database. And then the final part, all of, all of that is offered in, in our language in the form of Grackle. Which is which is a language you know the thing with the thing with languages is that you can make it you make the language do a lot of different things, but it's it's really easy especially if you're building that to make it too complex. So there's this balance between how expressive you make a language and how simple or complex is it. So you know I'm very proud to say that you know we have so many people that really that really like using the language and, and some even love it and that's what they tell us. And that's something that, that we find so valuable because we, we do our best to make the language as simple as possible. And that's why we go out of our way to reduce the number of um, keywords that are in, in different uh, characters and different keywords to really make the language almost, almost as human readable as possible. Uh, and that's really core to, to, uh, to our philosophy. From a developer standpoint, uh, I guess is interfacing with Graken, are they using some type of like API like Java, Python, or are they writing uh, Grackle statements? Or how does how the developer really interface with the, the Grackle ecosystem? So the the mostly through one of our client drivers. So we have a we have a bunch of those. We have a, firstly, those that we maintain. So those are the client Python, uh, Node.js, and Java ones. But then there's a bunch of other ones that I want to shout out to the community for building those. There's the Julia community is building on a, is building a great project. Uh, special shout out to, to Mark in particular. He's doing a great job in, in, in really evangelizing that within the Julia community. And uh, there's a, a few others as well, I believe, that uh, are getting, that, that I've seen uh, in Go, in, in C Sharp, in Rust, 
in, in Ruby as well. I think those are the ones that I'm familiar with um, that are either in development or I, I would have to check on their on their status. But um, mostly people, the most popular one, I guess, comes as no surprise is the client Python one. So you just do it, install Graken, you know, pip install Graken, and, and then you can just import Graken. Yeah, and I see you know, Graken is open source and so is GraphQL. Um, can you talk about the decision to go open source and how that's impacted the product? Sure, sure, sure. So, well, I, I'm sure we are all aware of the commotion around the SSPL and Elasticsearch. So this is particularly um, uh, contemporary in relation to that. So we, the so Graken Core is our open source product that li that's licensed under ATPL. Um, and then we also have our commercial product, which is not open source. That's like, that's a commercial product that we sell. And so the main differences between those two products is uh, that the open source doesn't have any scalability features nor security. So those are the ones that are offered in the, in the commercial one. So especially for businesses that run at a larger scale, that's where we commercialize. So this, this is what's also called the, the open core model. Um, but I think, you know, as a, as a business, um, you know, first, especially as a database software, you have to open source at least your core product because you have to, you have to be transparent enough about the fact that your product is not perfect. And it's going, it, it, you know, it, it took Oracle decades to, to get to a stage where, uh, and, and where it was stable and, 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 and right. The, because building a database product is really, really difficult. So there's, there's an inherent amount of transparency that you have to show the community and that comes from open sourcing your core product. And that means not just actually, it's more than just actually open sourcing the product. It's also embedding an open source culture within the engineering team by having open channels. So all of our engineering channels actually are also open. Anyone in the, in the world can see what our engineering team is talking about. And that also fosters a certain uh, kind of a, serv a, servant, a servant mentality to the community because anyone knows that if anyone says anything, in the engineering team, it will be seen by the community. Now, a lot is set, so not everything will be read, but sometimes we do get shout outs because someone reads in the community something that's happening and that's that's very deliberate. So for us also as a business, it's very important to build that trust by being open and transparent. Um, that being said, you know, today's is a, is a very interesting time because licenses like the AGPL, which gives, which, which are fairly restrictive, when it comes to uh, to on the open source, Apache, uh, let's say, being the most the most open, um, you know, it's it's a I think we're living through a very interesting time when it comes to open source licenses because you know there's there's I think there's a very strong argument that Elastic and Mongo certainly have made that just the AGPL is just not uh, adequate enough, especially with the large cloud providers uh, that are able to commercially benefit hugely. From these products, even despite the AGPL. So, um, you know, I, I support Elastic's, Elastic's decision to switch to SSPL, which, to be frank, isn't that different from AGPL. It just adds a few more restrictions. So, in some sense, I also don't I also don't agree with the uh, open source initiative um, arguments in terms of lambasting Elasticsearch. I, I read their statement. I, I thought there was a lot of inconsistencies in, in their statement um, because, you know, it, it's it's. Ultimately, it is a business, and you know we respect 
to a large, we try to respect as much as possible the, the open source, but there's also the, the other side where of being respectful enough to the, the efforts that need to go into maintaining the open source because it, it doesn't just come naturally. So anyway, I don't wanna open a can of worms there, but uh, because I know it is. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll see what changes come with a new administration who's perhaps more eager to regulate some of those larger companies as well. So that'll be an interesting, interesting year to watch. Okay. Uh, but thank you for that answer. I think that that's really interesting. Um, Bejo, did you have a? Yeah, yeah. So I guess I've also, I've seen your Discord channel. I've seen people talk there. So I guess how big is, I guess, your engineering team or Kraken in general? Like how many employees? So right now our team is uh, roughly 15 people. and. We've done a, one of the things we've been very, very adamant about is that everyone joining the team must be of an excellent quality. And it's easy to say, but it's much harder to do in practice so that the output ultimately on the engineering side, engineering side, especially on the core side needs to be small and nimble. And so we've, we've, we've built systems to leverage our own um, output uh, one of those is, is something that is actually that is, is a whole new product that we built called Grabl, G-R-A-B-L.io. Um, we were we actually were users and customers of Circle CI for a long time, but it was not good enough for what we needed, especially given the multi-repo environment that we worked in. So we ended up building our own uh, CI platform that those are testing and releases. Uh, and that's called Gravel. And right now we're using that to benchmark, to test Kraken, and it's it's really improving our efficiency and our productivity in, by orders of magnitude. And so that's that's how we see and that's how we try to think of of engineering from a from a team perspective. And is that what you would recommend to? I mean, maybe that's because it's your product, right? <laughs> um, to other teams who are managing their database life cycles and even the migration from into Kraken AI. Grapple is not really ready for public consumption just yet, although it is open. So anyone, anyone can go there and use it actually. It's, it's also, we haven't really decided what to do with it. It's, it's certainly something that could be made open source, could be commercialized. I honestly, I, I don't have the answer to it, but I, I'm kind of hinting if anyone goes into it and checks it out, uh, but there's no documentation yet. So we may get lost a little bit, but some people like that. But, um, well, I, I think for some teams, you know, building your a whole new platform for uh, your CI may be, a, may be too much work, but ultimately, um, you know, you have to decide how you want to build your company and how you, what you want to automate, what you don't want to automate, what you want to pay to, to have automated. But as a, you know, as a, as a very important point though, you know, what we do see in, the, in our space is, especially on the, on the investment side, a lot of engineering companies taking a lot of funding and so a lot of liquidity is in our space. You know, I'm referring, you know, just refer to the, you know, last year's Snowflake IPO that I think surprised most people at, at, at how, how large that was. And, and, you know, well done to them. Congratulations, sincerely. Um, but there is a lot of liquidity going in the space. And I'm seeing a lot of just redundancy when it comes to engineering teams and uh, people taking jobs at, uh, at good salary levels. But then when you look at the efficiency of the, of the companies, it's, uh, it's, 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 in, it's quite, quite shocking, to, to be honest. Uh, not to name any names, but it's, um, you know, there, there's, there's ways on how build, to build companies and there's ways on how to build companies, let's say. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think that was, you know, there's um, like pipeline considerations. Like if you're going into a new company and they're like, oh, I want to use Grok and AI. And you're like, oh, okay, great. But 
um, you know, you have some major gaps in X, Y, Z areas. Maybe like you're not, you're not doing any database testing or <laughs> you're not doing that. What do you, what do you really like think also needs to go hand in hand if you're really going to effectively use Kraken that you're at a big company? I think one of the key things with any new technology and, that, and so it includes Kraken, but really any, any, any one of, I guess, you know, my friends who's trying to build deep technology um, or really innovate in that space is that there has, you have to get into organizations that have a culture and, 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 and is there is someone that is willing to, to be a champion of that, of that software and, and wants to really fight for you to, to get you in because the technology alone won't do it. At the end of the, it goes a long way, but in large, especially in the larger organizations, uh, you, you need some sort of champion that can help you translate the value for your, of your product to their organization and also have the space within the organization to get you a budget or get people to use it and, and get some mind share. And, and, and that, that takes effort and time. And that's why sales, I guess, maybe for some engineering leaders isn't fully appreciated because it's a very thankless job of going out there and speaking to people and finding people in organizations that have, a, have space to, to, I guess, bring in those new technologies. And, and when you find those people, you have to, embrace them on and, and then get your deals in. And if you're lucky, they will want you to make a lot of money because doing so will help them help them help you in the sense of building a better product and improving your, your, your technology. And you need to go the extra mile for, mile for these people in order for you to get to the next stage of the business, which is going after other accounts where you can leverage the referenceability of the earlier accounts. Um, but yes, I think, especially when it comes to new technology and understanding the, the culture of the organization you're after is, is really important. Yeah, so I guess from evangelizing kind of Kraken services, uh, I know you have a Discord channel, but how do you kind of get awareness out there or get developers to know about Kraken and interested in using it? Yeah, I guess, so I think from a first and foremost, it's understanding who you are. And that may sound quite esoteric, but what I really mean it, it's, you know, who are we as a, both, both as a group of people and a technology? What's the feeling that we have that we want to emanate externally? And, and so that, that's really where it all starts. And, and to us, that's, that's building beautiful software, elegant software that pushes the boundaries of, um, of science as much as possible, but, um, but, but, but is just beautiful product. And, 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 and that's really important. And then the way we do that is by, well, previously we had meetups in real life where we actually could meet people in person. Um, we did a lot of them and we actually had our first uh, user conference about, um, about a, a year ago in February last year, where we had 300 guests come and speak, sorry, and, and attend our conference with 40 speakers or so. And, and then just bringing people together and seeing what everyone can do. And, and then your community becomes more than just the sum of everyone. It really becomes something much bigger than that. Right now we're doing that, we're doing a lot of webinars and we're finding a really great way of connecting with people. So um, especially Daniel and I, we, we most of the webinars, you know, we'll sit two, three, four times a week, uh, like I'm doing now actually, and, and just present about a topic with Gracken and we try to bring in community members as much as possible. And, and get the community to speak also on your behalf as, as much as we can. At the end of the day, we'd like to be in the background as much as possible. We'd like the community to speak. Um, I think Banjo, you have a, an amazing project with Graca, um, I, I believe, and, uh, and, and just having that at the forefront of, of, um, 
of um, of, of what we do. We, we don't want to be the ones evangelizing. We want our users to make them famous. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed, uh, I made a product called Codex to kind of help uh, utilize the Python API to do some of the routine tasks, such as starting up databases, doing searches, queries. There was a lot of API calls strung together. So it was very fun utilizing uh, the API and whatnot to make that product. I have a question on like the opposite end of adoption where you have your blockers and people saying that that's not ready for production yet. Um, I noticed a lot of your use cases have to do with like pharmaceuticals and also financial information. Have you run into any issues in terms of like regulations or um, you know requirements around around security that you've had to deal with, and how how's that gone for you? Yeah, great question. Well, on the on the issue on regulation specifically, not not, not really, um, mainly because of the type of use cases that Graphen is in. There have been instances where certain specific features of Graphen were or uh, security features were needed. Um, but so far, there's always been a way around this for us to, uh, to, to, to work around, at least the client was willing to work around it. And you know, I think that's also very important when as a business, especially if you're still in the early stages of scaling, scaling up the business as a technology company, to be also very selective with who you work with and try to work with the innovators that are okay with your product not having very advanced security features because those are requirements that the, the let's say the, the late majority will, will want you to have. And so from a product standpoint, it's important to focus on those things that will set you apart. And those some certain very advanced features may not be the right ones for you to focus right now because those people that will be the visionaries and the evangelists for your product, they won't really care about those because they will find a way around those um, in, it, because they just want to bring a product in. And sometimes that means you can't, you can't be in a certain use case, which is fine, but especially in large organizations, there's many other options where your product could fit in. So being just very mindful of, of you know, what's the persona that you're speaking to and what's their, um, are the early majority, early adopters, or are they late, late, late majority and, or laggards as they are called as well. That makes sense. And then what do you have at the, the top of your to-do list in terms of feature development for Graken AI that you're excited about? Yeah, so we're about to release our uh, production version for 2.0. So we're just ironing out the last 0.1%, which is always the notorious last 0.1%, uh, because you never know what's, sometimes you don't know what's, what's on the, on the, the, the unknown unknowns. So we hope to release that at the end of this week and have a really stable production version of Crack 2.0, which is which is orders of magnitude faster than the previous 1.8. And um, and then I will lay down all the changes that we made, which which are uh, we effectively re-architecture the entire core of Dragon. And then uh, we'll also release the commercial version of Dragon, so it's the, the high availability and a cluster version of Dragon, which is called Dragon Cluster. And in terms of features that we're building out. Again, you know, some of the exciting features that will that are at the highest list of our priority are things like arithmetic and rules. And for those who may not know what that means, is if you a Graken rule is effectively a set of statements that, if true, it will infer a new fact. But what if you can, uh, in that inference of that new fact, you can do plus n, and n was defining the conditions of the rule. Um, <clears throat> that may not explain it well enough, but I would say if anyone wants to learn more, please just DM me on, on Discord. 
uh, but arithmetic and, and rules that's what we're uh, looking to implement and also forward chaining is, is one of the things that we've been looking at uh, that will be interesting from, a, from an inference point of view but not many people are request forward chaining which is different to backward chaining uh, it's a different type of reasoning um, and, in, and, and a different type of automated reasoning great that's exciting thank you yeah, so any any events you guys coming up? I know you got events every week, but any of them you want to call out? <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate that. Well, we have actually two webinars this week, uh, but I don't know when this is going to be when it's going to be broadcast. So I don't know the definition of this week. <laughs> let's say that we have a, a virtual conference on the 24th and 25th of March. I believe those dates may or may not be right. Within that week, we'll have a two-day conference with also a one-day uh, graphing training session. So it'll be a sort of a three-day online event. And we're uh, really excited about it. I have to admit, I you know, I think for me as a as a person who is speaking to a lot of different people in the community, there's nothing better than bringing people in, in one place because, well, I, because normally you only meet them one-on-one. -on -one. And when they're in the same room, even if it's virtual, and we did our, our first virtual conference in October last year. I think we had like 140 people there. Uh, that was that was really great to to, to see that. So uh, this is bigger than the one that we did in October, and so I'm really excited about uh, about it. It's called Graphic Orbit. So check it out. Well, we haven't released it yet. If you want to know more? DM Daniel Crow, who's our community manager, and um, yeah, Benjo, I, I do hope to see you there. <laughs> yes, I, I like conferences. So yes, <laughs> and Victoria, of course, you know, you're most welcome to attend as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to make it at least a couple. So is it a remote? It's remote, right? <laughs> I see you're in your office. So I'm like, are they allowed to go to offices in England? <laughs> we are, so we're part of the team is, is here. Uh, we have a few remotes. Uh, we are wearing masks. Everyone's sitting in different places. Uh, the windows are open. And so we've, we've, we've tried to take as many precautions as possible. Yeah, that's good. Maybe one day we'll all be back in the office. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Any events you got planned, Victoria? We have DevOps DC. Our monthly meetup is coming up on Tuesday, February 16th. So it'll be about debugging your brain. So a developer who also knows about psychology and all the little tricks your brain play on you. Um, so that will be really good. Uh, I think Women Who Code, we have our Python lab this Wednesday, which might be a little bit uh, too late for when this podcast comes out. But we are still doing Python labs uh, every other week. So it's, it's going strong despite the pandemic <laughs> for Women Who Code DC, which is great. What about you, Banjo? Uh, the data ops meetup, uh, one tomorrow, but I guess we won't get it out in time. <laughs> but we'll probably have one in February to date undetermined. Uh, but yeah, same way I've been doing virtual meetings ever since. So I'd like to keep that going. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much for coming on our show and talking to us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.